0: Man, well, good morning. It's good to see you guys. I hope that all is well. Uh, If this is your first time at Watermark, I hope that it feels like home very quickly. My name is Timothy Atik, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here and excited to jump in to study the Word of God with you today. Uh, Today, we're talking about being single. And if you're here this morning and you are single, you might find it weird that a man who's been married 15 and a half years is going to talk to you about being single, but uh, I believe I'm qualified to talk to you about being single because I was terrible at being single. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you uh, a message that I wish I could go back and share with my single self uh, several years ago. I truly was bad at being single, and it started all the way back in high school. On Wednesday nights, my best friend and I we would get together and we would watch this TV show called Dawson's Creek. I don't know if anyone remembers that show. If you're, if you're younger, it's not gonna ring a bell, but if you're right around my time frame, then you know exactly who Dawson and Pacey and Joey were. And we would watch this TV show and it would just create all of this teenage angst inside of us. And after the show, we would sit around and talk about who we liked and we would just despair at the fact that we didn't have girlfriends. And then when I actually did go on dates, I was the guy that would try and make the relationship official on the first date. Like, I tried that at least a couple times. And then I remember when I was in college, that same Dawson's Creek friend, uh, I just remember him saying to me, he said, TA, you're just happier when you're in a relationship and then even after even after college as i watched some of my friends getting married it just made me feel antsy so if i wasn't in a relationship i'm just telling you my radar was up in any social setting i went into i was i was i was looking for a potential future spouse i just was not I was not great at being single, and so what I want to do this morning is I want to share with you from 1 Corinthians chapter 7 what I wish that I could go back and share with my single self, and I just want to be clear from the beginning what today is not going to be. Today is not going to be a message from a man who is very happily married trying to convince the single people in the room to be really happy about being single, like that's not That's not what I'm trying to do this morning. And at the same time, what I do wanna do with those of you who are single is I wanna make sure that you steward your singleness really well. Whatever time frame, however long that season of your life is, I wanna make sure that you don't waste it. And so if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter seven. 1 Corinthians chapter seven, is where we're going to be. If you're new to Watermark, we are just walking verse by verse through the book of 1 Corinthians. If it feels like we've been in 1 Corinthians for a while, it's because we have been in 1 Corinthians for a while. But what I hope that you're seeing is the beauty of just studying God's Word and just unpacking one verse at a time in reading it, understanding it, and then applying it. That's where the Spirit of God does His work transforming our lives. We are looking at a chapter now, chapter seven. We've been in this chapter before. We were in it two weeks ago. And this chapter is all about romantic relationships. And the church in Corinth had so much drama going on around romantic relationships. Like if they made a TV series just on 1 Corinthians chapter seven, like it would be extremely popular and streamed widely. Because just listen to what was going on, okay? In the church in Corinth, there were Christians who were married in refusing to have sex with one another because they thought that it was sin to have sex with one another in marriage. And so you had married couples who, if they had sex, it was only for the purpose of procreation. Otherwise, it would be. Uh, unpleasing to God or displeasing to God for them to have sex for the sake of pleasure. But then you had other men who were married who were going outside of their marriage. They would have sex for the purpose of procreation in their marriage, but then they would go outside of their marriage to have sex with prostitutes for pleasure. So if you just took that and made a TV series on it, like you've got the drama that you need to have a hit show. But then in addition to that, there were married couples. There was believers who were married to unbelievers, and the believers thought that it would be pleasing to God if they divorced their spouse because they thought that being married to an unbeliever made them unholy in some way. And then in addition to that, you had single people, and then you had people who were engaged to be married who were scared of getting married because there was this belief circulating in the church that to get married was sinful, So there's all sorts of drama going on. There's all sorts of problems, and Paul is addressing it. And so a couple weeks ago, we saw him address uh, safeguarding your marriage by having sex regularly, and we saw him talk about staying in your marriage, so to not get divorced. And now we're going to see Paul talk to those who are single. And as we look at what Paul has to say, we're going to see four key truths that you need to know if you are single. So look with me, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Let me read you verses 7 through 9. Let me just tell you how today is going to play out, because we're covering a lot of text. But it's going to feel like we're jumping around the chapter, and we are, because Paul jumps around the chapter. Like he, he, um, he talks about sex and marriage, and then he takes a brief break to talk about being single for a few verses, and then he goes in to divorce. And then after divorce... It's going to feel like he takes a huge offering to talk about slavery and circumcision. And then he's going to come back to talking about being single. So he's all over the place. So we're going to be all over the place. Here we go. Aren't you glad you came? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7, Paul says this. He says, I wish that all were as I myself am, but each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The first key truth that I want you to know if you're single is this. Being single is a gift for some, but not for all. Okay? It is a gift for some and not for all. Some of you just heard me refer to singleness as a gift and you're like, I'm out. Like that, if there was a buzz phrase that you could mention that would cause me to hit the doors early and get to lunch early, that would be it. Singleness in your mind, you're like, if it's a gift, it's a white elephant gift. Like it's the gift (laughs) that you get stuck with indefinitely and you don't want it. Okay? But it's good for us to acknowledge that Paul is speaking from his own experience, and what he's saying is that marriage and singleness are both gifts, okay? Singleness is a unique gift that God gives to some individuals, but not all individuals. Just because you're single now doesn't mean that God has given you the gift of singleness. So some of you can breathe a deep sigh of relief. When we talk about the gift of singleness we are talking about... um, <clears throat> this, this unique place in life where there just isn't an urgency in you or a need for or desire for that marital relationship or that, or that longing for um, sexual intimacy in the context of marriage. That's what we're talking about. And that was Paul. Paul was all about single, uh, being single. Paul loved being single. In fact, he's like, all of y'all should do it. I mean, I do it and I love it and you should be single too but he's talking about the fact that that god gives a gift of singleness to some he gives some the ability to go through life with this deep contentedness with where god has them without a spouse and without that sexual intimacy inside of marriage i've had conversations with different single individuals over the years where i've heard different people just articulate i don't know that i ever want to get married like, I, I think I'm okay not getting married. And they weren't these people who were like, you know what, I'm gonna be a bachelor to the rapture and being a bachelor is great and they're having a different girl every night of the week and they, they love just being a player. That's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about having conversations with individuals who are so content with what God is doing in them and through them that there just isn't this urgency, this desire or this need for that marital relationship. And I realize that I'm not talking to the majority of the single people in the room right now, but I am talking to some. And if that's you, you just need to know there's nothing abnormal about the fact that you're content where you are. That is a gift from God. God's generosity is seen in your life. Do not feel in any way like you need to conform to, to social pressures, that this is just the way it is, you graduate from college and you work for a few years and then you meet someone and you get married and you have kids and you do. No. That is a gift from God. And at the same time, God doesn't give everyone that same gift. And so that's why he even says, you know, in verse 9, what did he say? He said, but if you cannot exercise self-control, then you should marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. What Paul is addressing here is some single men in the church who are following, following the lead of some married men who are going outside of their marriage and having sex with prostitutes. So there's some single guys who start doing the same thing. And Paul's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like it, it doesn't make sense for you to have sex with prostitutes for the sake of gratification. That is sin against God. Instead of sinning against God, it would be better for you to experience that intimacy inside the context of marriage where sex is actually pure and a way to glorify God. So it's just good to acknowledge that, that if you are single now and you have a desire to get married, that's okay. Like that is actually a good and healthy desire to want to be married. And so I'm not going to stand up here today and just be like, okay, you need to squash that desire. There's this weird theology. That circulates in some Christian circles, and it sounds something like this. You just need to date Jesus, and when you date Jesus, that's when Jesus will finally give you a spouse. Or it could go something like this: you just need to stop looking for someone, because when you finally stop looking for someone, then you will finally find someone. And so you have all these singles who are like, okay, God, I'm I'm not looking for, I, I'm totally content, Jesus. I love you. Is it is it him? I'm not looking, I'm just wondering, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if it's, I don't know. It, and it's just so unhealthy because what it does is it turns God into this cosmic-sized vending machine where you get the combination just right, God gives you what you want. So if you can somehow find a way to stop looking, then God is somehow required to lead you to someone. Well, imagine how disappointing it is when you feel like you do everything you're supposed to do and God doesn't give you a spouse. And also, it requires you to suppress natural and good desires. Like, it is a good thing to, if you desire to get married, that's a, that is an okay desire. That's a good desire. So that's where we have to start. Okay, being single is a gift for some, but not for all the second truth that you need to know is this: being single isn't second class. Like being single isn't JV, and being married isn't varsity. Okay, being single isn't second class. Like there's this American Christian dream that I just kind of mentioned, where you kind of meet your spouse at the tail end of college, maybe you graduate, work for a few years, but then y'all get married by 25, 26, have By the age of 30, you've got 2.5 kids with a house and a yard, and like everything is exactly it. You're just that's that's perfection, that's the ideal. And if that's not you, then you got dealt a second class hand, and that's just not reality, and that's why Paul shares with us verses 17 through 24. The reason that we're jumping down to verse 17 is that we've already walked through verses 10 through 16 because it talks about divorce. And now in verses 17 through 24, we're not going to be able to walk verse by verse through it, but I am going to read you the whole section and just tell you what Paul's point is. It's going to feel like a massive swerve because he's going to talk about circumcision and slavery. But it has everything to do with what is going on in the church regarding rom- romantic relationships. Watch what he says, verse 17. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him, into which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the mark of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity." For he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called there, let him remain with God. So all eyes on me. Let's just make sure we understand what Paul is talking about. Here's Here's Paul's point. His point is you don't have to change your social status to be more uh, pleasing to God. You don't have to change your social status. So he uses the example of circumcision. Circumcision was not a big issue in the church in Corinth. But imagine how radical it would sound to any hearers who were Jewish for him to say, look, if you're not circumcised, for you to become circumcised is irrelevant. And if you're circumcised, you don't need to worry about becoming uncircumcised. His point is your relationship with Jesus Christ trumps all social standing. So that's his point. Now, zoom out and see how that applies to L, the surrounding passages. So he just talked about divorce. What's his point? Hey, if you're a believer married to an unbeliever, you don't need to worry about your unbelieving spouse making you unholy, because your relationship with Jesus trumps your social standing. It trumps your relationship status. Okay, if you are if you are engaged to be married and there's this belief circulating that to get married is sinful, if you get married, it, your relationship with Jesus, it trumps everything else. You don't have to remain single to be more honoring and pleasing to God. In our day today, the issue is more, can you still be as honoring and pleasing to God when you're single as you could be when you're married? And the answer is Absolutely. Like, you don't have to get married to, to fully experience God's best in this world, to glorify him most. I mean, did you see Paul's wording in verse 17? Look back at the wording just one more time. He says, only let each person lead the life the Lord has assigned to him. That's it. Whatever your relationship status is right now, that is an assignment for God, from God. I don't know how long that assignment will last for you, but if you're single, that's an assignment given to you by God. How are you doing with that assignment? If you're married right now, that is your lifelong assignment. How are you doing in that assignment? I remember talking to one of my good friends, and uh, she's, she's still single, and she really wants to be married. She really has the desire to be married. And at the same time, it was just, it really blessed me to hear her say, You know what? I, I want to be married. I don't know if God will ever, I don't know if marriage is God's will or plan for my life. But right now, I'm loving being single. And that wasn't her saying, You know what? I love being single because I'm getting asked out by a bunch of different guys and I can just keep it casual and it's really enjoyable. No, what she's saying is, I, I'm not going to wait for marriage to start living life because God wants to use me now. And so she was enjoying her time of being single because she was fully invested in community. She was fully invested in ministry. So she was serving like crazy and she was using the life and the assignment that God gave her to glorify him. And so how are you doing with your assignment? You just need to be clear, being single isn't second class. Now, I want to just speak to the married people in the room for a moment because if we aren't careful, we will unintentionally turn the volume up on this message to our single friends that being single is second class. And it will be completely unintentional. But, but here's how we do it. And I'm just going to confess. Kat, my wife, and I, we are guilty of at times looking at some of our single friends and buying into the lie that their life is somehow incomplete because they're not married yet. Like there are times where we've looked at our single friends and we've thought, you know what, what they truly need to be really satisfied in this life is is a spouse. Do you ever do that with any of your single friends? It's like, "Oh, I just wish that he could meet someone. I just wish that she could finally find someone." And it's just this thought of, "Oh, they must be missing out. They they need someone." And so we make it our mission to find someone for them. It's like, "Well, if you thought ever thought about Jim, he breathes and so like, I know you breathe too." And that's that's good. I mean, I don't I don't know how old he is. I don't know how old you are, but I just you're single and he's single. Isn't that all that's necessary? Like, so y'all must want to, y'all must want to be together. It's like, that's, do you see the message there? It's like, I know you must be miserable because your life is super incomplete. It's super second class. So I just need to help you graduate. I need to help you get from JV to varsity. Or here's another way that we unintentionally unintentionally turn the volume up on that message. We educate our single friends on what it really means to be busy. So even though our single friend might be working 60 to 80 hours a week and they're serving the church for 10 to 15 hours a week and they're super invested in our community, we listen to that and we're like, man, you're so lucky. Just wait till you're married wait till you have kids here's the deal it's we can, we can do you hear what we're saying we're like your, your life you, you don't have the responsibility I have your time isn't as important as my time is I know you think you're busy but you're not busy like I'm busy it's your second class being single is is second class and so we just have a responsibility to, to, to guard our single friends from ever believing the lie that their assignment given by God is anything less than God's best form. The third truth that I want you to know is this, whether single or married, so I'm speaking about both single and married people in the room, whether single or married, seek your greatest satisfaction in Jesus. Seek your greatest satisfaction in Jesus. This is not a Jesus juke moment where it's like just date Jesus. That's not what I'm saying. When I say seek your greatest satisfaction in Jesus, it's actually just discipleship one-on-one. Like if you're a follower of Jesus, then your greatest satisfaction should be found in Jesus. Okay? Look with me at verse 25. We're just gonna walk verse by verse. Here we go. Paul says, now concerning the betrothed, some translations say virgins, what he's probably talking about, who he's talking to here is most likely young women who are engaged. So he's talking to the young women and their fiancés. He says, now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord... But I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. So this is really interesting because Paul says, hey, I don't have a command from Jesus. What he means by that is, hey, Jesus during his earthly ministry never spoke specifically to the situation going on in Corinth. So I don't have a command from him. Paul's basically saying, I'm just going to give you my opinion. But my opinion is trustworthy because God called me to be an apostle. And so we should listen to what Paul has to say. But this is an interesting moment for Paul because he's saying, let me just speak from my heart in my experience and what we're going to see him say is, hey, if you don't agree with me, that's okay. But we should take what he has to say to heart. But this passage isn't a passage full of commands so the, the, the end goal is not obedience. The end goal is, is just complete surrender to whatever the Lord has for you and for me regarding singleness or marriage." So here's what he says, verse 26. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, it's good for a person to remain as he is. You need to know that this passage is probably the most debated passage in the whole book of First Corinthians, which is awesome. I'm glad I drew this passage. Um, But it's because there's so many different things that it's like we're not sure what he's talking about. This is one of those examples. He says, I think that in view of the present distress, we don't know exactly what Paul is referencing. Some people speculate that there's a famine going on in Corinth. Other people just think he's talking about the time period between Jesus' resurrection and Jesus' return. So they're thinking, hey, we're in the end times right now. And so because of that, Stay as you are. So we just don't know. Where I kind of lean on it is I would imagine that there probably was some extenuating circumstances going on in Corinth at the time that just um, had a taste of the end. And it was just a reminder to Paul to share with his friends, hey, look, this, this world is passing away. We talked about it last week, like a new heaven and a new earth is coming. This, this world is on the clock so you want to live with the end in mind. I think that that's what Paul is trying to get at here. He says this, are you bound to a wife? He's not talking about those who are married already. He's talking about engaged. Those who are bound that's he's probably talking about engagement which just was was more official, more serious during this time than it is today. He says don't seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Don't seek a wife. So this is really good because remember, he is battling asceticism where people are like, hey, it's sinful to get married. He said, look, if you're engaged to be married, fine, get married. If you're not engaged to be married, consider not getting married. Both, both are okay. Verse 28, but if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. So do you see how he's just combating what is going on? But his point is marriage isn't a bad thing. Like if you're in here and you're single, this is not my attempt to say, hey, you know what the Bible says? The Bible says you just need to stay single. See, Paul doesn't think it was a good idea, so it's not a good idea, so you shouldn't get married. No, that's not, it's not what Paul says. Marriage is a good thing. It's a, it's a gift from God. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you of that. Now watch this. Verse 29. This is what I mean. Okay, thank you, Paul. That's really helpful because we'd like to know really what you mean here. This is what I mean, brothers. The appointed time has grown very short. From now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. Some of the guys are like, amen. That, that, is, not, <laughs> that is not what... Paul's not saying what you think he's saying. He says that the appointed time has is, is is short. He's he's basically just saying look that the end is coming. Like our time on this earth is short in comparison to the timeline of all of eternity. Some people in this world they don't want to think about death they don't want to think about the afterlife they just want to think about the here and now it's like what do i want to do today i just want to enjoy today i don't want to think about the future i don't want to think about death and paul is like for followers of jesus it's the opposite we live with the with the end in mind So because this this world is passing away, it is absolute foolishness to to sink deep roots down into the world, attempting to squeeze every bit of comfort and pleasure that this life has to offer. Marriage is one of those things. Marriage, according to Paul, is a worldly thing. And when he talks about it being worldly, he's he's not talking about it being sinful. He's just talking about it being temporary. Because I don't know if you know this, but... There is no marriage in heaven. Like the scriptures tell us that that no one will be given in marriage in heaven. Why? Because we'll be perfectly complete and satisfied in Jesus. And so marriage is a thing for our time on earth. That's why we promise to love one another until death. And so marriage is temporary. And so even Paul is saying, look, let's be careful that we don't try and squeeze every piece, every bit of comfort and pleasure out of everything that this world has to offer. That's why he says, uh, from now on, let those who have wives live as though they had none. What his point is, hey, is, hey, do not, do not try and find all of your satisfaction and fulfillment in being married. Because that's not where it's to be found. Because marriage, even marriage is on the clock. Okay? He goes on and he says and those who mourn as though they were not mourning, and those who rejoice as though they were not rejoicing. He's not talking about just being stoic. He's just saying, look, life has highs and lows, and be careful not to let any of the highs or any of the lows define your entire existence. Like you shouldn't um, completely despair when, when uh, the storms of life come, And when life is at its peak, you shouldn't try and freeze frame that moment and just live in that moment for forever. Because this life, this world is fleeting. He says, "In those who buy as though they had no goods, and those who deal with the world as though they had no dealings with it. He's saying, look, like, don't find all of your satisfaction in material possessions or insignificance through your work. Why? For the present form of this world is passing away. It's on the clock. You think about a race. We talked about it last week at the end of my message. When you're in the straightaway of a race, when you see the finish line, it should change the way that you run. Like when you're in the final stretch, that's not the time to stop for a water break. Like that's not when you get out your phone to change your playlist. That's when you fix your eyes on the finish line, you lift your knees and you pump your arms. And Paul's point is like, set your gaze on eternity, eternal life with Jesus and sprint toward the finish. And don't get distracted with all of these different things. Don't stop off completely at one thing or another that will take you away from what is truly eternal. So that's why I'm telling you whether you are single or married, seek your greatest satisfaction in Jesus because life with Jesus is the thing that is eternal. That is what is eternal. So I want you to think about Psalm 1611. It's one of my favorite verses in the scriptures. I shared it with you last week or the week before. It says, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Do you hear what David's saying? He's saying, In your presence, in your presence, that's where fullness of joy is. At your right hand, who sits at the right hand of the Father? Jesus. So in Jesus are pleasures forevermore. Our tendency is to live like that verse will be true one day but what if you began to believe that that verse can be true today? Like if you began to believe that to live in the presence of God every day, that's where fullness of joy is found. To seek Jesus for ultimate satisfaction. It's in Jesus that there are, it is in Jesus that there are pleasures forevermore. That's what Paul is trying to get at. He's saying, look, don't, don't, don't think that marriage is the answer. Isn't it interesting that in this room there are single people longing to be married and married people longing to be single? Do you know what that shows? It shows that neither is the answer. Like if you're single, marriage isn't what will truly satisfy you no matter how great your marriage is. It, you can still be lonely in marriage. And if you're married and you think that your answer is being single, it's not. It's not. It's not. Jesus is where satisfaction is found. So what does it look like for you to increase your satisfaction in Jesus Christ? Well, it's the difference between glancing at Jesus and gazing at Jesus. We've talked about this before, but our tendency in the world we live in is we try and live off of glances with Jesus. And we wonder why we're not really in love with Jesus. And it's like, well, let me ask you this. Did you and your spouse fall in love just by saying hello to each other on Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays when you passed each other on your college campus? No. You fell in love because you sat down with one another, you gazed at one another, you got to know one another. But we just want to live off of five minutes with Jesus here, 10 minutes with Jesus here. And Jesus loves us too much to give us all of himself in just glances. No satisfaction is found gazing at Jesus and so let me just encourage you whether you're single or married seek your greatest satisfaction in Jesus sit with Jesus until you begin to see Jesus sit with him until you begin to taste and see that he is good final truth that I need you to know if you're single is this while single don't just fill time steward your time Okay, don't just fill time. Don't just pack your schedule because you have a schedule that can be packed. Don't just fill time steward your time. Listen to what Paul says in verse 32. He says, I want you to be free from anxieties. And he goes on and says, the unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. The word anxious, it's 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 not sinful. It's talking about, it's, it's cares and concerns. So the unmarried man cares about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. So let's just be clear. Paul does not think marriage is sinful. If he thought it was sinful, then he would have never written Ephesians chapter 5, which is one of the longest passages on marriage that we have in the Bible. Marriage is one of God's gifts to us and yet Paul is just trying to be clear with those who are not married yet and he's just saying, look, let me tell you why you need to be careful with the time that you have while you are single. And I just, the best way to think about it is that race analogy. Paul's ambition is to call his friends to fix their gaze on eternity with Jesus and to run at a sprint towards him. And what Paul is basically saying is, hey, when you get married, marriage is a good thing, but it changes the way that you race. I'll invite my wife, Kat, up here to just help me illustrate something. So, This is Kat. We've been married for about uh, 15 and a half years. And when you get married, yeah, you can applaud for her. She's put up with me for that long. She deserves applause. But uh, so when you get married, oh, gosh. So when you get married, Galatians, or not Galatians, Genesis chapter 2 says that a man will leave his father and be joined to his wife and the two will become one flesh. And so when you race, you now have to race as one. I don't know if you've ever done a three-legged race, but it changes the way that you run. Like when you're running by yourself, you can just run full sprint towards the finish. But when you're doing a three-legged race, you have to worry about how your, your partner is racing. So it's kind, of a, it's, it's kind of a combination of looking at, she knows what's coming, so. It's a combination of looking at your partner and looking at the finish line. And so Paul's point is, look, when you get married, it just becomes more complex. Like when Kat and I got married, I don't have complete freedom to be like, you know what, I think I wanna go to Watermark Community <laughs> Church. That, that's where I wanna worship. Or you know what, I wanna check out this community group over here. That's where I wanna be. Last minute mission trip sounds great. <laughs> like that's just, <laughs> it's just, it's not the way it is. It's, it's more complex. So, even moving here to Dallas, we moved back in January. <laughs> so, even moving, she doesn't trust me. That's what she just said. She doesn't know. Um, even when we moved to Dallas, when Watermark called and asked me to consider joining the teaching team, the question wasn't, is God calling me to Watermark? The question became, is God calling us? Is God calling our family to move to Dallas to be a part of Watermark? And so questions that I had to wrestle through is, what's that gonna be like for Kat to be uprooted from her great community and college station? What will Watermark be like for Kat and my kids with me on staff? Okay, where are we going to live? Because where we live will determine where my kids go to school. And then I found myself laying awake at night. What is the lunchroom on the first day for my sixth grader gonna be like? I can't I was just sitting there imagining him having no one to sit with. Those are, those are things that I had to process through. Now, here's the thing. I love being married to Kat. Like, Kat is God's second greatest gift to me, next to salvation. And we have a lot of fun in our marriage. We laugh a ton. It is such a joy to journey through life with her, to seek the Lord together. I love being married. Marriage is a really great thing, but it's more complex. Like moving to Dallas, it was more complex. My attention is divided and not in a bad way. That's just reality in marriage. I mean even preparing for this talk like I was preparing to teach the Bible and in the middle of preparing in my home office the door swings open and my 4-year-old is buck naked. He had just come from the pool and it was he was waiting for his turn to the shower and he was just jumping around naked. My attention was divided even in that moment. Life is just more complex and so even when you look at the text like You did really good there, Kat. Um, The text speaks, it speaks to Kat. Look at what it says. It says, um, verse 33, but the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. And then it says in verse 34, and the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. That is a reference to simply your entire being being devoted to pleasing God but the married woman that's cat is anxious about worldly things how to please her husband so just as i have to think about cat cat has to think about me and there's joy in doing that like like cat god giving cat to me is is one of god's greatest gifts but but life is just it's just more complex. Okay, would you guys give Kat a hand for? <clears throat> Thanks, babe. Here is uh, here is Paul's point to those who are single. Don't miss verse thirty-five. He says, "I say this. The reason I'm even telling you this, it's for your own benefit." Not to lay any restraint on you. In the Greek, that is literally, I'm not telling you this to put a noose around your neck. That's what the Greek says. He's saying, I'm not telling you to hold off on getting married because I'm trying to make you miserable. He's saying, I'm telling you this to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. His point is, for whatever season you are single, you have an opportunity. So you might not like being single. You might not want to be single. But if you are single, don't miss what I'm telling you. Do not miss the opportunity that you have during this season of your life to secure an undivided devotion to the Lord. Do not just fill your time. Steward your time. What does it mean to steward something? It means to realize that it doesn't belong to you, it belongs to someone else, and so you want to be really responsible for what you have been entrusted with. If you're single, God has entrusted you with a period of time where you are able to have an undivided devotion to the Lord. Do not squander the time that He's given you to do that. I want to just finish reading the passage so that we hit on it, and then I'm going to come back around at the end and just tell you what it looks like to steward your time well, okay? Just look really quickly. Paul says this, verse 36. He's just basically repeating what he's already said. If anyone thinks that he's not behaving properly towards his betrothed, if his passions are strong, and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is not a sin. So look, if you want to get married, then if God brings someone into your life, get married. Verse 37, but whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control, and has determined that in his, this in his heart, to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. He's just basically saying, look, if if you have a, a personal conviction that arises in your soul, that you are content remaining single, then remain Single. That is a gift from God. Verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well. He who refrains from marriage will do even better. Okay? It's just Paul's opinion. Verse 39, a wife is, he he now just sums up the entire chapter. So this week and then two weeks ago, a wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives. So don't get divorced. That's what he's saying. But if her husband dies, she's free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Make sure you marry a believer. Yet in my judgment, so here's Paul's kind of exclamation point, in my opinion, just if I'm sharing from the heart, she's happier if she remains as she is. So isn't that interesting? Paul's like, even someone who has been given the gift of marriage after having it, it might even be better and she might even be happier if she just remains single. Why? Why? Because she's able to secure an undivided devotion. He ends by saying, I think that I too have the Spirit of God. That's just him saying, look, some of y'all think that you're really spiritual because you're depriving yourselves of marriage. But I'm speaking with the Spirit of God at work in me. So what does it look like to secure an undivided devotion to the Lord? What does it look like to steward your time well. Let me just encourage you, if you're single, let me encourage you with a few things. Number one, pray for a future spouse, but don't wait on a future spouse. Here's what I mean by that. Don't sit in a holding pattern when God is wanting to do a work in and through you now. I think about my friend JD, he's married now, but when he was single, he maximized his time. When he was single, he sought the Lord fervently, and he was fully invested in his community, and he was fully invested in his church. His life was a life of mission, and he married a girl that was doing the same thing. And so now that they are married, together they are pursuing the Lord with a life on mission. Number two, surrender your singleness daily to the Lord. Loosen your grip on your plans and dreams, and acknowledge that God's ways are perfect. Number three, cultivate robust rhythms of gazing at Jesus. Cultivate robust rhythms, like commit to studying and understanding the Bible more. Become someone who prays fervently, like learn what it looks like to just be with the Lord and talk to Him and hear from Him. Go on prayer walks every day. Learn the satisfaction of fasting. Read a ton. Serve like crazy here at church. Go see what God is doing in other parts of the world where the gospel is not gone yet. Consider taking the gospel to those who have never heard before. If you're longing to be a father or a mother, start by being a spiritual father or mother. That's what Paul was to Timothy. Paul says in 2 Timothy, he writes, To Timothy, my beloved child, but... Timothy was not his biological son, he was his spiritual son. So it's been fun over the years to see men and women who have become spiritual fathers and mothers to the next generation. Here at Watermark in the student ministry, it is the norm for leaders to commit to journeying with a group of middle school students in sixth grade to walk with them all the way through graduation. And I'm telling you that by the end of that time, what you have is you have a spiritual father, a spiritual mother to the next generation. I've seen people actually be mothers and fathers to the next generation. Young adults, singles, jumping into foster care, caring for those who, who are in between homes right now. And it's a beautiful thing to watch. And then let me just say this, because it needs to be said, there are... There are a bunch of godly single men at Watermark. And there's a bunch of godly single women at Watermark. Okay? Guys, ask a girl out. Okay? <laughs> Girls, if you get asked out and you feel comfortable, you should say yes to a date. If you feel comfortable. Okay? But let's not, let's not be weird about it. Okay? There... <laughs> There is a huge difference between being intentional and being intense. (laughs) Be intentional, don't be intense, okay? If you're lonely, it's by choice. If you're lonely, it's by choice. You aren't lonely because you don't have a spouse. You're lonely because you're isolated. And the rhythms that you've put into place in your life emphasize your isolation. There are married people in this room who are lonely. Marriage is not your answer. Okay? So let me just encourage you. Fully invest in community. The church is meant to be a family. Find community here. Don't believe the lie that you can't hang out with married couples or families with kids because you aren't in the same stage of life. I love it that I've had single individuals who have just said, hey, I'd love to get to know your family. It's awesome. We have a girl that, that we've known since, since her college days, and now she's 27, 28. And she regularly comes to our kids' soccer games. She comes not to babysit. She'll come and babysit sometimes, but she comes just to have dinner with us. And it's because she is, she is part of our family. And so let me just encourage the families in the room, invite single adults into your family. Single adults, say yes. Okay? Enjoy being part of a family. Let me just finish by saying this. One of the reasons that I was so bad at being single was that Jesus was a part of my life, but he wasn't the point of my life. Okay, Colossians 1.16, Paul says that all things have been created by Jesus and for Jesus. See, I was living under the assumption that I was made for marriage. I wasn't made for marriage. I was made for Jesus. I was made for relationship with Jesus, and so were you. Every single person in here, you, you just need to know marriage is a great thing, but it is not the ultimate thing. Okay? that the point of your life is to know Jesus. It is to know Jesus. So if you're here this morning and if you don't have a relationship with Him, if you've never come to the understanding that Jesus Christ died for your sins on the cross, He rose from the dead to make a way for you to be made right with God, that's where it starts today. But you weren't made ultimately for marriage, you were made for relationship with Him. So whether you're single or married, may He be your, greatest satisfaction. And if you are here and you are single, my hope and prayer is that Watermark would be a a place full of people who have secured an undivided devotion to Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I thank you for who you are and, and what you're doing in this place, Lord. I pray just for my single friends in the room. Lord, for those who don't want to be single, and yet they are. Lord, my hope and prayer that even as they long to be married, my prayer is that they would know the joy of being in relationship with you. And I pray, God, that this place would be full of many young adults, many older adults who are single that have an undivided devotion to you. We need you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.